I am Platt on the line in Vancouver, British Columbia at thecommentary.ca. Manufacturing the Threat is the feature-length documentary that looks at the role of Ajahn provocateurs and entrapment in the history of Canada's national security apparatus, especially in the case of the couple Omar Nuttall and Anna Karodi. They were arrested on Canada Day 2013, caught planting bombs at the Parliament buildings in Victoria. Their arrest was celebrated as a triumph for Canada's national security agencies, just as there was a reported increase in the threat of Islamic terrorism, which precipitated the Harper government passing Bill C-51, the Anti-Terrorism Act. However, the case against the Nuttles collapses, despite an elaborate operation by the Royal Canadian Mounted Police and the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, which uh, involved over 240 security service operatives, culminated in coercing the Nuttles into planting fake bombs. The charges were thrown out, and their imprisonment was referred to as a travesty of justice by the judge in the case. Both Nuttall and Karodi appear in the film and speak at length about their three years in prison and and, and the individuals who exploited them. As well, there are interviews with academics and indigenous and environmental activists who speak to police infiltration and incitement. The film has its world premiere at Docks of the Documentary Film Festival this Friday, the 6th of May, at the Van City Theatre at 7.45 p.m. Visit doxafestival.ca for tickets and information. Joining me now is Amy Miller, the award-winning media maker and social justice organizer who is the director of Manufacturing the Threat, Her films have been screened in over 100 festivals around the world and broadcast in over a dozen countries. She joined me from Montreal when we taped this interview a couple of weeks ago. Please uh, welcome to the Plant Online program, Amy Miller. Ms. Miller, good morning. Hi. Thanks for joining us. Um, It's such a a fascinating film and and, and a provocative one at that, and and, um, it's it's very well made. Um, There's a lot I want to touch upon. When did you get the idea, though, Amy, to to make this movie? Yeah, well, a good friend of mine, Alex Popovich, who's actually featured in the film, Mm -hmm. he came out with a book that uh, in 2017 in French it's called Traduire la Manin, which rough translation is um, manufacturing the threat, and his book is just all the facts around what we know around cases of entrapment and the use of police uh, provocateurs and agent provocateurs uh, throughout Canadian history. So he didn't do any secondary interviews. He didn't do, you know, any. He didn't spend time with people, but he looked at everything he could find through the access to information. Uh, and the cases, and he compiled all those facts and put it together in a book format. And I thought it was fascinating, and I was not so surprised, but kind of bewildered at the fact that no one wanted to, no one had done a documentary that touched on the subject whatsoever. Uh, and then, of course, with the case of the Nuttles, uh, Omar and Anna uh, Nuttle, which is the primary case study in the film, uh, their, their case is just so fascinating and riveting and it's very contemporary so i thought if i could get access to them and if they were willing to participate and if i could use all of the information that alex researched from his book i think it would be a pretty dynamic and explosive uh, documentary and so since the end of 2018 i started developing it and you know just continue to work on it 
uh, yeah. up until today, essentially. <laughs> yeah, so, so I'll talk to you about Nuttall and, and Karodi in just a moment. But, but this sure. idea, though, about um, uh, the, in the absence of a real threat, one is manufactured. Um, as, as I said in the film, this is not an, uh, a new idea. That, that this is something that's happened through history, and I think that this is something that will, uh, when Canadians see your film, will uh, distress and worry them probably worse. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, the real aspect we have to focus on is that we don't know what we don't know. Mm. We don't even know what the landscape is that we're within, right? We're, we only see a tiny little you know, a bit of information that we're being provided. But Canada has a really, um, bad, like, you know, is very bad at providing information, and it's very difficult to get information, uh, whether it's through the access to information and the various policies. So we can't have an informed discussion around what policies are appropriate or what are the limitations around policing and national security when we don't even know what the actual landscape is and the playing field we're dealing with and that's very troubling so we don't know how many cases of entrapment are, are you know being conducted right now we don't know how many agent provocateurs you know are being hired or you know being part of whether it be local police forces or regional uh, or federal we don't know uh, none of that information is public and it's kept very um, very much behind closed doors where no one, you know, can ask the questions and no answers are being given. Yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned in, in the film the, uh, I forget the guy's name, was it Bristow, the, the guy who was involved? Right, with, Grant with, Bristow. Yeah, and then... Yeah, uh, who the, was one of the founders of Heritage Front, the largest neo-Nazi organization in Canadian history, which was a paid informant by CSIS, the Canadian Security Intelligence Service, and he was one of the founders of Heritage Front, and all of this was done with the money and the support uh, of CSIS. Yeah. So that's that's extremely troubling. Yeah. And you know, as the, are some of the other cases that are briefly mentioned in the film. Yeah, like Claude Moran, for example, and, and his involvement with the uh, with the government while he was, you know, with, I guess Rennie Levesque's uh, right hand man or number two there in in, in the exactly. PQ. Um, can we get a sense, though, in terms of, of how much money is spent, though? I mean, aren't these these budgets approved by Parliament? Are we able to, to, to find out roughly how much is being spent on, on, on efforts like this? No. From, as far as I can tell, and my understanding is that there's, like, blankets amounts that are presented, but the micro-details are obscured mm. from any public scrutiny. So we might have a sense of this is CSIS's budget, yeah. right, Canadian Security Intelligence Service's budget, or the RCMP's, but there's no um, sifting through in that information that's accessible in terms of, okay, well, how many so-called counterterrorism operations are you doing, and how many are involving, say, a Mr. Big setup, or how many are involving a Jean Provocateur? As far as my understanding goes, that's not the case. Yeah. Um, you, you did seek uh, the point of view of the RCMP and CSIS, and they refused. Is that right? Well, they, it's not that they refused. It's that they never uh, got back to me. So I actually mm. changed in the final version of the film. I actually removed that line because I didn't want to have a situation where, you know, um, I want everything in the film to be 100% factually uh -huh. you know, correct. 
and I realize that language is creating the imp- an impression that isn't true. So it's not that they refused, it's that they didn't acknowledge and there was no response. So I actually removed that from the, from the final uh, title card of the film. I see. Um, I noticed when you filmed uh, Nuttle and Karoti, uh, coming out of a gas station, this is this is a more recent shot yep. at the beginning of the film. They're yep. buying coffee. I noticed yep. that people were staring at them. Is that because they knew who they were, or was was it because of your camera? Say, I, I mean, it could be either or, right? I'm not sure how visibly recognizable they are in Surrey, um, but you know, of course, there was a big camera yeah. uh, with someone filming them, and people always look to it, but. That's not to dismiss the fact that it might also be because they are recognizable. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of, you alluded to this a moment ago, uh, getting their participation for the film. Um, were these long conversations you had in terms of, say, trying to convince them or, or their lawyer to, to, to speak to you? I don't want to ever convince people to have to be part of any documentaries I, I'm involved in. Uh, you know, for this film, I'm both the producer and the director. And this is not a film that I want to use any sort of, like, coercion or, Mm -hmm. you know, obviously manipulation to get someone to participate. I need them to be fully on board, and that took building a relationship. So there was numerous discussions, numerous emails. I definitely think it helps at this stage in my career to be able to say to people and say, hey, here's my track record. Here's the type of films I've been making. It's not a one-off that I do justice-oriented films. I'm concerned and interested in civil liberties. I'm concerned in social justice, and that's my track record through all of my films. So it's nice to be able to say, check out my website. Here's all my different films. Here's the results I've had. We're going we're gonna to do it right. We're going to do you know, a, a documentary that you can be proud of and... Of course, I want them to feel at ease. So there was no sneakiness. This wasn't a, you're not going to know what I'm going to ask you. No, of course. Here are the questions in advance. Are there questions I'm missing that you feel like I... And I always gave them space, right? Is there Uh anything else? You know, I want them to be bringing in reflections that I might not have uh, considered. But, you know, that that was key. And I, I think... Part of the reason why they decided to participate, and I can't speak for them, of course, but this is my hunch uh, from different conversations, is that, you know, I took the time to discuss with them, but also my track record, and it was clear uh, what the intention behind my film was. I'm not out to trick people, you know, or to trick, you know, Mm -hmm. Omar and Anna to participating to then make them look bad. It's not about making them look better than they are, but... They're real human beings, and so they have their faults and their strengths, and to show that uh, as it is in terms of the choices they've made and the reality that they lived. And, um, and, I, and I, I, I'd like to think, you know, with the title card at the end of my film that explains that they're in the process now of bringing forward a lawsuit to the RCMP, mm-hmm. that my film is something that could serve them uh, as a tool with their court case, because you know, more people are learning about it and understanding that there was a real travesty of justice done. Indeed. Um, it, 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 it's eerie as I'm watching the film to, to see that the, the, uh, the, that it, it that it's been 10 years. Um, and it, it feels, um, I, I'm sure for them it feels longer than 10 years because of everything that they've gone through. Um, how do you think they've changed personally um, 
in in the ten years since then. I mean, the, the experience in prison for for three years. I mean, that could break somebody. But but they they seem to have have. I mean, there are obviously challenges that they have uh, as a result. But um, what are they like? I mean, in in terms of the, the the people that we see, not just on camera but off camera, say. Well, I, I think they're people who are genuinely traumatized from their experience. They live. This was a very real lived experience, you know. And as a- Anna says in the film, at uh, one moment, you know, there was guns pointed to their head, yeah. you know, and there was a lot of shock and you know trauma that came from it, you know. Uh, and then the anger to realize that they were completely set up by the Canadian state. That that has that, that has wounding. Uh, impacts on someone's psyche. Um, so, you know, when we spent time together, there was there was a lot of trust issues uh, and a lot of concern. And, you know, I I think they're just trying to get through their, their day-to-day uh, and not bother anyone. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a... It's, I think these are experiences that really shaped them in terms of the last 10 years you know, in terms of how they interact with the world. And I think their world has gotten much smaller. Yeah. He talks about, say, hearing the, the ticking of a clock and, and how that sets him yeah. back sometimes. And and uh, she talks, uh, obviously, of, of um, uh, challenges that, that she's having as well. Um, when, when you're asking them to relive, say, um, what it was like meeting uh, Abdul for the first time, uh, talking to Mr. X... Um, what was it like to film them as they were, say, recounting these things? I mean, did, did they find it um, difficult to say relive? I actually think it was the opposite. I think this was the, again, I'm, I, I can't speak for them, but from the conversations we had at that time when we were filming it, my understanding was that it was actually the most space they had ever been given to, like, express their emotions and relive it. So in a way, there was almost like a uh, like a therapy element of actually getting to articulate it and speak and feeling heard and listened to. And we took times, and they always knew that anytime they wanted to take a break or a pause, you know, if it was getting too intense, that we could stop at any moment. But you know, there was a lot of times where I wasn't having to ask questions, where I was just listening and giving space and. You know, where Omar was very much, you know, taking that space of being heard, uh, as same with Anna. I mentioned uh, this person that we see in, in, in the film uh, through the footage that that, um, that the police shot, um, Abdul and Mr. X. Um, well, people watching the film will wonder what happened to them. I mean, are they still working with who they're working with, or um, have, have they been sanctioned as a result of, of whatever work they did in, in, in terms of, of um, this project? Um, what, what can you tell us about them? My understanding is that there, is, there was no repercussions towards them whatsoever. And, you know, the reason why we have to mask their faces because we have to follow the same publication bans with the footage when it was presented in court. Mm. Uh, and so that's part of it, is like to keep their identities um, anonym- uh, like hidden. Yeah. So um, that's what my understanding is, that there was no repercussions. But really that wasn't my focus and what I was looking for as well. So 
I'm not exactly sure if there was and that I might have missed it in terms of the reading. I was much more interested in the impacts of the victims rather than the perpetrators. Yeah. A theme that, that uh, is discussed in the film is this idea of uh, racism in institutions like the RCMP and, and CSIS. Um, someone in the film says that you know that that in in an effort to diversify, say, the ranks of, of organizations like that, um, it actually exacerbates, say, racism within these institutions, and we, we see that sort of in the behavior of Abdul, especially. Mm-hmm. Um, that that um, the the uh, sure you have someone of color uh, working there, but um, they're still holding the the essential ideas that. that um, that, that, that these organizations say were founded on, even like the RCMP, for example. Yeah, I, I mean, there's definitely some deep contradictory realities that play out when we're looking at things like national security or policing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and this this is when we come down to like, how do you know structural inequalities and you know long term um, yeah, inequalities, how they play out when, when we're looking at a person-to-person individual level where people of color working for the RCMP or CSIS will experience discrimination themselves, but the whole force, you know, plays out in systemic racism towards peoples, right? So mm. what happens at the micro happens at the macro and vice versa. And, and um, you know, the, the nuttles, for example, were exploited because they were poor, living in poverty, uh, and they were uh, mentally vulnerable as well. I mean, there's so many aspects of this case that that that, um, that um, are troubling. What have you looked at in terms of the media and its role in sort of um, covering this case as they did 10 years ago and, and beyond? Um, do you think that there was enough scrutiny as to, to what was happening in the case in the press, say? question i i mean i wasn't watching the media 10 years ago while the case was unfolding so i'm not in a position to give like an objective you know uh, reply on whether the media did their job or not at that time i reviewed as much of the media i could find you know 10 years later so it's it's like well was there other things that came out but i just couldn't find them on the internet that i just couldn't find them perhaps but you know for all intents and purposes, the media was following the government, which is the police's lines, right? Yeah. That that they succeeded in, you know, nabbing terrorists, and that this was a victory, right? So, the, you know, that that's how this was reported on, by and large, by the, the corporate media, right? Yeah. Um, with... And, and I mean, we, there's big discussions around that in terms of what are what are the the media's capacities to look at cases. And but this is where it's just like, well, wait a minute. It's supposed to be reasonable doubt, and we're supposed to, you know, it it becomes a mouthpiece for you know the police and you know the government when the media isn't critical. And so, yeah, I, I think it's disappointing, and it might be what helps perpetuate uh, situations like this. You talk in the film about uh, uh, how protesters in the environmental movement say are, are labeled eco-terrorists, and, and I guess um, 
that label itself is something that the media has been uh, quick to to, to uh, utilize itself. Yeah, and I mean, beyond just saying, wait a minute, the media is referring to, you know, climate activists and indigenous people on the front line of land defending and water defending as terrorists, uh, that the, the film argues that we have to be mindful that this has been done so much in the past to other groups of people that if we understand the climate as one of the main threats to our national security, uh, and if our government continues to be supporting, uh, you know, pipelines and resource extraction and not doing what needs to be done to curtail uh, the climate crisis, then we have to be ready to assume that there's a very strong likelihood that this kind of um, purview onto people trying to stop climate crisis will be deemed as a terrorist, right? That, and that there's a chance that there'll be uses of agent provocateurs and right, state violence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, uh, have, have Nuttall and Karoti, have they seen the film? They were sent the film. Uh-huh. I'm not sure if they've watched it. I know, you know, I sent them other films of mine that have come out in the last few years, and they... They thank me for it, but, you know, some of it is just a little too intense for them, and I'm not sure how comfortable uh, they would be with watching themselves on film. They had said that from the start, so mm-hmm. no expectations. Yeah, yeah. There's a, a room that we see in in the film where you have um, – it, it, it's, it's a shot that, that you use in the film um, to, when you're discussing, say, CSIS or the RCMP, and it's this room – of uh, say a bunch of screens and a bunch of people analyzing data, um, sure. is that is that a set that you created for the film? Yeah. And and so uh, <laughs> I'm curious to know um, was this um, something that you created out of your head or is this something that you you know that CSIS and the RCMP have? I mean these are these are different images that I've seen and I think it's part of our collective consciousness of what we assume mm-hmm. it is as well. So it's a little kind of blending of both. What we expect we will see and what we know actually exists. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of the response that you want for, for, for this film from the public, because it screens at DOCSA shortly, um, what would you like us to think about and, and be concerned about? I mean, the, the, the film is not only a story about uh, uh, Natal and Karoti, but it's also, say, a warning, isn't it, of, of um, uh, what's at stake and, and what we ought to think about in the public realm nowadays. Correct. Correct. So I think I think you really nailed it there. And for me, it's primarily a popular education tool where we can create those kind of aha moments, right, where people are like, oh, I had actually no idea. And wait a minute, right, what are our civil liberties and where are the limitations? Uh, and how does that play out with our notions of national security and our police forces and who benefits, you know, and and how and why. I want those questions to be kind of, you know, pinging around people's heads uh, while they watch the film and afterwards, where it's just like, wait a minute, we can't take things for granted. We can't take our civil liberties for granted. And they can be eroded very quickly without people really noticing. Yeah. And we have to be mindful of that. So I do think it's a, it's a bit of a cautious tale, tale of, wait a minute, these, these are things that 
have happened and that continue to happen that we're not aware of, they have major consequences and ramifications for all of us. And if we're not careful, you know, it, it could lead us down a path that we do not want. Indeed. Um, it, it's a, it's a, 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 a very well-made film. Congratulations on it and, and continue good luck with it. I appreciate your time today. I so appreciate you taking an interest in the film and speaking with me, Joe. And I hope uh, if your audience members are listening and interested that they'll come out and see the film uh, on the 5th at Doxa. It's going to be a great screening. The website for more is at doxafestival.ca. The film premieres at uh, the Doxa Documentary Film Festival this Friday night, the 6th of May, at the Van City Theatre. That's at 7.45 p.m. Amy Miller, the uh, film's director, joined me on the line from Montreal in Vancouver. I'm Joseph Plunder.